0: Well, my goal is today to finish uh, Romans chapter 10. We've got these verses before us, verses 11 through 21. There is, as you can see on your sermon notes, three main sections that we're gonna be moving through. And uh, we're just gonna take it a verse at a time and let Paul kind of walk us through this, this truth. You've seen Paul really build the case in Romans chapter, chapters eight and nine, really, for the sovereignty of God and salvation. And then this this groaning that Paul has for for Israel, who has rejected her Messiah. They largely, not every every Jew, but mostly the Jews, have stiff-armed their Messiah. And this just grieves Paul. And so we've seen him unfold this from Romans 9, then into 10, and in 11, we'll see more. But the big question is, why? Why would God's chosen reject the Messiah? Why would this be? How, how, how is this happening? And is that bad news for us from Romans 8? Because we're, we're feeling really secure in Romans 8, but, but could it happen to us that all of a sudden there's a lack of security that somehow we would be left out of this incredible salvation? And the answer certainly is no. Romans 8 stands. It is a confident call that if you have been chosen by God, you will embrace Him as Savior. You will believe. And there is every uh, reason to bank on that promise. However, it is not blindly embraced. There are very tangible things to understand about the gospel. And and it is critically important that we embrace them with all our strength. And so I'm excited to see how these verses bring kind of the fullness of of these doctrines. Yes, God is sovereign in salvation. And mankind is responsible for hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn rejection of the gospel. Both of these things are true. We'll see them once again in these verses. So let's dig in here. Everyone who calls will be saved. Everyone who calls will be saved. Now, we really we're picking up where we left off last week uh, in verse 10 as that was presented, Paul repeats this verse again from Isaiah in verse 11. Listen to how this goes. For the scripture says, now he quotes from Isaiah once again, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He goes on to say this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, let's just stop for a second. Is there a distinction between Jew and Greek? Yes, there there clearly is but not when it comes to the reach of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is, this is not just a salvation for Jews. This is a salvation that reaches across all dividing barriers, all ages, all economic status. It reaches from old to young, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. He goes on to say, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Oh, I love this. This is awesome. <clears throat> Four, now he's gonna quote once again, I believe this is a quote that comes from the prophet Joel, okay? Seven Old Testament quotations in these few verses that we have, seven Paul is witnessing to his Jewish countrymen. He wants them to see this Messiah is an Old Testament predicted and promised Messiah. This is what the Old Testament points us to. And so he quotes seven times from the Old Testament. Listen to what he says from Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is spectacular. Now, Do you understand why it's so important to interpret Scripture in its context? How many people have taken that quote out of Romans 10 and then pitted it against everything else that Paul's been saying up to this point and then isolated it to build an entire theology? Everyone who calls will be saved. That means that election can't be. Predestination is out. That means that the sovereignty of God and salvation must not be what it seems to be because that can't be true if this is true. And that is mishandling the word of God. There is a reason that Paul has brought us through the verses we've gone through to this point when he brings us to this verse, these amazing verses. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I can say that confidently every Sunday. And at the same time, affirm 100% the sovereignty of God in saving sinners. Ultimately, God is the reason any sinner is saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our message. And that message goes to the ends of the earth. Wow. So, you've heard me when I preach. And the call for you when you reach in evangelism is this. Come all sinners. All sinners. Everywhere from every nation, from all ages. Come in faith to Christ, and I guarantee you this. This is a promise. Bank on it. You will be saved. Do you hear the call? The call to come to Christ goes out across the world. We're not saying, well, as as, as long as you're elect. Now, we know that's That's operating in the equation, but that's of no concern to us when we actually are evangelizing. The call is if you're breathing, if you're alive, there's hope for you, sinner. There is hope for you. And his name is Jesus. Believe. That's the message. That's the call. There are people who have thrown out evangelism because they say they believe in the sovereignty of God in salvation. These verses rebuke that thinking. 100%. They completely obliterate it. Yes, He's sovereign, and that's why we pray, and that's why we evangelize. That's why we reach to the ends of the earth. Now, the Jews, they did not like the sound of this. The idea that one of their pride and joy leaders, I mean, Paul was renowned in his day, and In the Jewish community, he was known, respected, regarded, and God saved him and then commissioned him to be a mouthpiece to who? Largely to the Gentiles. This just burned the Jews. They couldn't stand it. There were two things operating in the rejection of the Messiah. Number one, pride. Pride. No, 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 Paul. The Jews were the chosen. We're the chosen of God. And oh, how easy it is to be blinded with pride in carrying that reality from the Old Testament. We've been chosen. We're good to go. And obviously Jesus had some words for them while He walked this earth. You're not good to go. Mere conformity to the law, exterior facades mean nothing to God. Where is your heart? Where is faith operating? in the sacrifices. The second thing that really kind of fed out of this pride was the prejudice they held. There was great animosity to the Gentiles. Now, God called his people out to be a separate people, a holy people, a, a set apart people from the pagan nations. But at the same time, they were to be a light of righteousness to those nations, never to look upon them with disdain and disgust. But to show them the glory of God, that they too might see him and know him and embrace him. This turned dark. So pride and prejudice rule in this Jewish response to stiff arm Jesus. This cannot be our Messiah. Our Messiah, he would have put down the Romans. He would have glorified Israel. He is not a Messiah that reaches and brings salvation to the nations. And so they could not stand to hear Paul say things like this. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile in the gospel. May it never be. That's their meganoito, right? By no means. Friends, we're going to see in chapter 11 how easy it is for the Gentiles to fall prey to the exact same thing. And I would add, in, in large part, throughout church history, the Roman Catholic Church has done exactly The same thing. It's it's truly amazing to consider. The warning is Gentiles don't fall prey to the exact same pride and prejudice that the Jews have. Relying on your works to show yourselves approved. We'll study that more in chapter 11. He bestows his riches. Look at the words here. Look at the words. Riches. He doesn't hold back. He pours it out. His riches he bestows on all who call on him. To call on him in this context means to embrace him with everything. To hold nothing back. To cry out to him, save me. I trust, I believe, I embrace, I bow. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. You're my hope alone in this life and the next. Save me. No one who believes and calls upon his name will ever be rejected. Oh, I've heard this objection so many times. People say, listen, pastor, if you believe in election, then you believe that there are some people who are going to hear when they call out, oh, Jesus, please save me. I want to be a Christian. You're telling me that that God will respond to some of these people and say, oh, sorry, you're not elect. Can't save you. Friends, listen loud and clear. That will never happen. No one who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved will ever hear, sorry, you're not elect. There's nothing of that in the Scriptures whatsoever. Listen to Jesus' words. In John chapter 6, verse 37, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And listen to these words." These confident words, and whoever comes, key word there, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. They will never hear the words, oh, I'm sorry, can't save you, the Father didn't choose you. That's not, that's not going to happen. So in evangelism, the confident message is Turn from your sins. Run to Jesus Christ. Embrace him. Believe. Trust in him. Bow to him. He is the savior of sinners, the world over. Listen to how these verses play off one another. John 6:37 pairs so well with John 10:27 and t- through 29. Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. You see what we're talking. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, inspiration here. We're talking about salvation. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now look at how this next verse points us back to John 6. My Father who has given them, that is all who call, all who believe, all who cry out, save me, He has given them to me. And by the way, He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So let's just look at the pairing here. All that the Father gives me will come. Why will they come? Well, because they will hear my voice. They will hear the Gospel when it is called out. They will hear it. How will they hear? By the Holy Spirit's work. Supernatural salvation will unstop their closed ears and and pull the scales off their eyes and they will follow. Now, the the imagery here is of the shepherd with his own sheep, putting sheep in a sheep pen where other shepherds have their sheep. And in the morning, the shepherd comes and he calls his sheep. I wish I could show you this. It's so amazing. Out of all of these sheep, a hundred sheep, the one shepherd has a call. And he calls these sheep and his sheep, bam, they look up and immediately they come to his voice. That's what it's, that's the imagery that Jesus is drawing on. My sheep will hear my voice. I know them and they follow. They will call and all who call will be saved. So Let's just dispense with any notion that someone is wanting to be saved and is stiff-armed to receive salvation because they weren't elected. That has never happened in the history of this world. It will never, ever happen. Hmm. I'll tell you why. Because the called are the ones who call. If you are not called by God in eternity past, you will never call, save me, Jesus. You won't. You can't. You're a prisoner of your own will that is hell-bent on rebellion and sin. You're blinded to the glory of Christ. You won't want a Savior in Jesus. You might want a genie to rub, to use to your own ends, to build your own kingdom and for your own glory, but you will never call save me. I bow to your lordship. I embrace your sovereign salvation. Save me, King Jesus. The only way that will happen is if you've been called. So these two things come together. They're both true. But one precedes the other. That's just so clear in the text. One of these is a reason for the other. The reason ultimately anyone calls on Christ to be saved is because the Father wrote their names in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations and called them in that moment to life. Our call to salvation comes from the Father, which brings to pass our cry for salvation to Jesus Christ. I hope that's clear for you because it helps us reinterpret our own experience, our own story. Friend, when you chose Jesus, you actually made a real decision. Absolutely, you chose him. You cried out, save me. That was the effect of God's calling you to life in that very moment. That's how he saves everybody. Hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes Both are important here. Whoever, absolutely, it's whoever, but not just whoever, it's whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If you believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, you will not perish. And that is our message. (laughs) That's what we proclaim to the ends of the earth. I hope you see how these two things are both true. They come together in the text all through your Bible. They're spectacular and glorious. Now, the necessity and priority of proclamation. Look at these verses, verses 14 and 15. These are spectacular verses for us. They help us understand Romans 1, don't they? Now, remember Romans 1. Every sinner is responsible for rejecting and suppressing. Every sinner knows that God exists. They know He's glorious. They know that they deserve death for their rebellion against him, and yet the world over, everywhere, the remotest part of the earth, that is what we do. We suppress, we reject, we stiff arm, we ignore, we live as if God doesn't exist. We hate him because we know he does. That's autopilot for the sinful heart. Such that if there is no gospel proclaimed, sinners the world over rightly perish in their sins there is no salvation for those who never hear the gospel that's what we said in romans 1. now listen to how this these verses build that reality out verse 14 how will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I'll just tell you this right now. You can ask my wife. My feet are not beautiful. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Out of all of my family, I ended up with the most hammer-toe mess that you've ever seen. I've got one. My baby toe is hiding in a cave under my fourth toe, going over the top. It is terrible. The foot doctor said, well, we can break that toe and both, both your feet, set it straight, you'll be good to go. I said, no. <laughs> Just fine. I do not have beautiful feet. However, those who bring the gospel are described as having beautiful feet. Not because their feet are beautiful, but because the message their feet bring is glorious and beautiful. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? Now, this is an interesting question to ask. How has God chosen to save sinners? Here's the reality. Um, Thanos can snap his fingers, right? Okay, we're going into the Marvel universe. It's a convoluted mess. I agree. But for all you kids, right? Thanos snapped his fingers. All these people died and disappeared. God can make Thanos look like child's play. God, if he wanted, could snap his fingers and save every single person he chose and wanted to. In, in an instant, they would be saved. He can do that if he pleases. But that is not how he has chosen that the gospel would reach the nations. He is not bound to save the way he has chosen to save. He has chosen to save in this way because of his free disposition. He has given people like you and me a frontline role to play. He didn't have to do it this way. Let's be clear. He didn't have to do it this way, but this is the way he's chosen to do it. How has God chosen to save sinners? Dreams and visions. Now, I I just got to say, God is free to do as He pleases. However, when excitement is driven about what God is doing around the world, off of I heard about this guy who had a vision over here and then this guy was having a dream about a guy dressed in white and and all that, I don't put a lot of stock in it. I, I really don't. Can God work in that way? Has he in the past accomplished things through dreams and visions? Yes. But friends, he is not saving people in the remotest part of the earth without gospel messengers. This is the way he's chosen to save. So if you want to kill missions in the church, then make all the talk of evangelism about dreams and visions and and whatnot. Well, great. He's sovereign. We're good to go. Let's just sit back and watch God do whatever He's going to do. We don't have to lift a finger, do we? Do you think that those on whose shoulders we stand from recent days thought that? Is that why they laid their lives down to bleed out in Africa? Because they thought God had it covered and it was all good and there's nothing for us to do? No. There is an urgency to the work of missions. Today, people are dying apart from Christ, and they will continue to do so unless they hear the gospel. God brings salvation through the messenger, the preacher. The word here is, is, is proclamation. It can mean preaching, but it certainly means to proclaim with authority to proclaim, to tell of the news. With the goal of, of urging people to believe it. Proclamation, it's, it's forceful, it's powerful. It is authoritative. It is to move out to the ends of the earth. Now, listen to this, this flow. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go. Look at, look at, the, look at the role of authority. I have the authority and I am commissioning you. Church, I'm commissioning you to go. What are we to do? Go and make disciples. Where are we to go? Every nation. Go to all the nations and make disciples, followers. Believers, call forward the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, instruct them. So it's not just about conversion. It's about full-fledged discipleship. Submission to his authority. Understanding the theology. Delighting in worship. Embracing him and making more disciples. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. So how long are we supposed to do this? Till he returns. Game on, friends. It is on today. It's on. Look at the flow now. He starts with the end. This is our longing. This is our goal to see this take place both in this county and around the world. Call on Jesus Christ. As I've said before, this means to embrace Jesus in faith for salvation, fully, nothing held back. I cannot save myself. I cannot work myself out of my own debt in sin. I look to you, Jesus, 100%, and I embrace you as my sovereign Savior and Lord. I bow and I believe. Call out. This must take place, friends. This is a a moment in your life. Some of you remember this moment. I remember when I was five. I remember this moment where I cried out, save me, Jesus. Some of you can't remember this moment, but I'm telling you, if you believe today in Jesus Christ, there was a moment where you passed from death to life. In an instant, your soul was made to live by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? I want you to picture yourself in a forest and a a tree has fallen across your legs and you're pinned down and you look around to cry out for help and the only person that you see is a little two-year-old. Now, are you going to cry out, Hey, little Johnny, come save me. Get this tree off of me. You're not going to call out to Johnny because you know he can't lift that tree. There's nothing he can do to save you. The point is you will never call on someone that you don't believe can save you. You have to believe in who he is before you cry out, save me. I see you. I trust you. I know you can do this. I look to you in faith. Save me. So to call on Jesus Christ, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And in order to believe in Jesus Christ, you need to answer this question. Can Jesus really save me from God's wrath? Is this something he can do? Is he able? The answer is absolutely yes when the gospel is proclaimed. Can he save me from my sins? Can he save me from my pit that I can't seem to dig out? I only dig deeper in. He can. I guarantee you that. I don't it doesn't matter what sin you've committed. Let's just be clear. The greatest, most horrific sins can indeed be forgiven because that cross is invincible over sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is that powerful. He can save even the worst of sinners. He saved me. He saved me. How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? This is the point of Romans 1. You cannot be saved by looking at a tree. You can't be saved by seeing a sunset. You will never be saved by witnessing a comet go through the sky. You can be damned from those things. Let's be clear. The power of God, His glory in natural revelation is enough to damn us to hell forever, but not enough to save us. How are they to believe in, whom, in, in Him of whom they've never heard? The only way that you will ever be saved anywhere on this earth is through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. So, sinners must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved. You have to hear the gospel. You have, have to either read it, hear it proclaimed, taught, shared, It's got to be a contact with the good news of the gospel that builds out these questions. Who is Jesus? What did the prophets predict about the Messiah? How does he fulfill all of these things? What did he say? What did he teach? What did he say of himself? How did he understand who he was? What claims did he make? And then what did he do? What did Jesus do specifically to save me? This is why when you join the church as a member, we ask very specific questions because it's not enough just to say, I believe Jesus exists. So does Satan, right? Satan's theology is, is, is largely better than all of our theology put together. He is accurate with his truth, but he does not believe in the Son. He doesn't bow to the Son. Why does it matter to me? Why do I need salvation? saved from what right these things are real this is the content of the gospel it has to be explained sometimes we go too light on this friends we're sharing our testimonies and i just say well god saved me i believe jesus died on the cross and and boom that's it do you need more who is jesus why did he die on the cross why is that a big deal to me right so as we share and evangelize remember Draw emphasis to Jesus. Not just what He did on the cross, but all of what He did. What He said. Who He was. God Himself. Where is He now? What's coming when He returns? How are they to hear without someone preaching? They are not going to hear through their braces. Okay, these, these stories just annoy me. I feel like these stories are are sensational and so they get repeated and told a lot. The problem is the effect of stories like this. Well, so-and-so was just walking along and all of a sudden he heard Jesus called him through his braces and he was saved. Well, that's good. Um, There goes the next crop of missionaries, right? Because if that's how he can do it, he doesn't need me. So I'll just wait and hear the next story. You want to kill missions? Just make it sound like God is not using actual people like you and me to save people. That is what He does. We are seeing a drop-off in missions around the world. It's a serious problem. One of the reasons is, is we don't believe that God needs us. He does. He's chosen to use people like us to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let me clarify. He doesn't need us. He's chosen to use us. It's a better, more precise way to say it. He doesn't need us for anything. He delights to use us. I want to make sure we're clear in the way we think about this. You've got to proclaim in order for someone to be saved. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very necessary to use words. Francis of Assisi was wrong. This idea that somehow people are just gonna be saved all around you because you're moral and upright? Wrong. They might say you're the best Mormon that ever lived. Is that what we want? No, morals don't save people. Jesus was not just a good moral guy. He was savior of sinners, rebels, who have stored wrath of God. So in the workplace, kids, in school, wherever you're at, in the family gatherings, in the neighborhood meetings, and it's just hanging with your neighbors, wherever you go, it's necessary. We are proclaimers. That's, that's our mission that we've been given. It's very necessary to use words. Oh, so many people have, have embraced this lifestyle evangelism fad and, and, and somehow concluded that you don't have to have Moments where you just lay it out. You have to lay it out and call people to repent of their sins and trust Jesus as Savior. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Huh. Send out the proclaimers of Jesus Christ. Two things happening in this, local and global, right? On a local level, that's what I'm doing right here today. I'm sending you out. That is the work of the leaders of the church. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Well, when we gather, there's certain things we do here. But our whole point of being here is to scatter and shine and and, and bring light into the dark. So we are sending you out today to do this, to proclaim. We also together collectively send people out to the ends of the earth. We've got Kathleen here. She's getting ready to take off again. And go and and do the work that God has assigned for her and for us together to share in halfway around the world. What a blessing it is to be able to partner, to say, listen, we will pay for you to do what needs to be done to get the gospel to the ends of the earth in whatever language is yet unreached, to send out. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you, Christian, You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. Where? Well, it'll start in Jerusalem. And then it'll move out into all Judea. And then Samaria. And then, look at this, to the end of the earth. We're a long way from Jerusalem, friends. Which means there were people that God has used to reach us. And there are people that God will use for us to reach. The work still continues to this day. We have been sent to proclaim. This gospel, here's the amazing thing. Listen to this, this confidence. This is certain to come to pass. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Look at that. It will be. That's why I'm more confident than ever in the work of the church. A lot of people down and on the church these days. I don't, I don't give Barna an ounce of stock. Those surveys are so purposefully done down and on the church. I gave up reading him years ago. What I will say is that there is a church that is being refined and she is passionate about evangelism and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she will be used both here in Wacom County and all around the world. More and more, we're going to see nations sending missionaries to us. It's already happening. That should cause us to pause a little bit before we just think that missions is over there somewhere it's right here it's all around us friends this gospel will be proclaimed of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come someday we don't know when or what that will look like when when the father has ordained our king will return And he will tread down all who have refused to believe in Jesus Christ. And we don't want to see anyone under that wrath. And so we tell everyone, repent, the King is coming. Turn, escape the wrath that is to come. Run to Jesus and find safe harbor. All who trust in him will be saved. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are your feet doing, friends? How are your feet today? Now, here's the deal. My goal is not to load you up full of guilt and make us all feel like total losers on our way out of here. My goal is to light a fire for evangelism in a day when evangelism is seen as, as, a, as a faux pas, right? Oh, you arrogant people, you think you've got the corner on you. Who are you to say your truth is better? Now, just... Forget all that. Focus on Jesus. Who do people need? They need Jesus. What do they need to do? They need to believe in Him and cry out to Him as Savior and hope alone. How are they going to do that? It's us. (laughs) That's that's how. God's going to use us to that end. And He is, friends. He is. Some of you are here today alive in Christ because there's people who sit near you that loved you enough to point you to Jesus. I love that. It's it's spectacular to be used by the Lord to see someone eternally changed. Sending, proclaiming, hearing, believing, calling. That's how you were saved. That's how everyone is saved. That is how God has chosen to save. And that is our mission, friends. That's our mission. There are a lot of people in this world that are looking for a cause, something bigger than themselves to live for. That's a kind of an empty way to live, isn't it? Just live for yourself. Stack the dollars, spend it all on you. Now, there's plenty of people still living in that spot. They'll, they'll realize that's, that's a, a mirage real soon. But if you ever wanted a cause to pour yourself into, this is it. This is the cause of the king of kings. This is the kind of cause that says leave everything like Matthew the tax collector and follow Him. Pour yourself. Lose your life if need be. Count the cost. Take up your cross. Speak the words of life into the dark. We've got a mission, friends. It is a mission like like no other. And it's on today. Today. It's on today. God's working through you, believers. He's working through you, through words that point to Jesus. I had a group of guys hanging out on Friday. I was struck how many different men shared points along the way where just a word of encouragement, how someone pointed them, just steered their attention to Christ and how how easy this can be, even in our own lives, just day by day. Just have the courage to cross that line and say, where are you at with Jesus? How are you doing with God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Now, the last closing verses here. Jewish re- rejection and responsibility. We'll see uh, our responsibility as sinners come into play, verse 16 to 21. But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? Isaiah, as we study, we understand why he would say that at the beginning of Isaiah 53. Is there anyone here going to embrace and believe? Isaiah had a difficult ministry. Very few people embraced his message. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have for their voice. He quotes Psalm 19. Their voice goes out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. This is an amazing thing to, that he does here. That refers in Psalm 19 to natural revelation. Paul puts it in the context of the gospel proclamation that has moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and is now, he's working in Rome. Think of this. The gospel goes out. There are so many Jews, he's saying, who have indeed heard. Hmm. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Don't miss this. So oftentimes we say, have you placed your faith in Jesus? And that's right, but it's it's not right if we think it's, it's ours to muster up. It comes. It is not in. It arrives. It comes to us from hearing. How does faith come to us? Through our ears we listen to the gospel proclaimed or as we read it through our eyes it comes supernaturally through the work of the spirit in connection with the gospel and hearing through the word of Christ this is the word of God proclaimed but I asked did not uh, did did Israel not understand for Moses says I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation I will make you angry Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. There goes the seeker-sensitive church movement, right? I've been found by those who did not seek me. As we read in Romans 3, no one seeks after God. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is how God saves. He's not waiting for free will to, to invite him in. He is crashing in to save in glory. But of Israel, he says, all the day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Hmm. Simply hearing the gospel explained is not enough. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. It's not enough that we just go and proclaim the gospel. Something more has to happen. And we know this because we've already studied these verses up up to here in Romans. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the words of the gospel and brings life. He throws the switch of the soul and brings life and light. I thought of it this way. A gospel proclamation is to salvation like oxygen is to fire. Think of this. If you don't have oxygen, you will not have fire. But the presence of oxygen doesn't mean you have fire. See, that, that, that's the point. If you don't have the gospel proclaimed, you will not have salvation. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. It's not going to happen. You have to proclaim the gospel in order for salvation to be there. But simply proclaiming the gospel doesn't guarantee that everyone's automatically going to be saved. Hmm. All day long, he concludes, I have held out my hands to a disobedient And contrary people. Can't help but see this statue. Is that Rio de Janeiro where that is? Uh, A city defined by righteousness? Not so much. No. A city that is in the shadow of this verse. If we lift this verse from its context, we think of God maybe as somehow just waiting and hoping and he did he did what he could do and 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 he's just saying save yourselves I did everything I could that's not what he's saying here is it he's saying listen the call of the gospel goes to the ends of the earth my arms are open and stretched out come sinners be saved call on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved that's a promise it's a promise." And that is extended to the ends of the earth. That is the gospel we proclaim. But there's a problem. (laughs) Just proclaiming the gospel does not guarantee a response, does it? A disobedient and contrary people set against God. They're set against even the light that would shine through the outstretched arms of a savior. Hmm. Listen to the words of Jesus, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. All, come, come all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest, promise. (laughs) Why don't they come? Why don't they come? Hard hearts. Stiff necks. Stubborn, willful rejection of Christ. Jesus stood up and cried out. Now think, He's in a crowd, a huge crowd. He cries out to all who hear, if anyone thirsts, let him come. Come to Me and drink, whoever believes in Me. As the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, you've got to hear the gospel proclaimed here by Jesus himself. This does not undercut in the slightest the sovereignty of God in saving. It is the confidence of the call to all, come, come and be saved. Jesus would say in Jerusalem as He looks out over the city on His way in to the Passion Week. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her. Listen to the words of love and care and gentleness. I want to gather you under my wings and protect you and shield you and save you but you would not. You would not. You have refused. You have rejected. What's the point here that's being established? Well, God is, yes, sovereign in salvation. And we are responsible in our rejection. So the two-part answer, why has Israel rejected their Messiah? Answer number one in Romans 9 largely, God's sovereign election. He shows mercy to whom he will have mercy, and he has compassion on whom he will have compassion. He hardens those he chooses, and he softens those he chooses. He is free to save as he pleases. But another answer, equally true, Israel's stubborn rejection, Romans chapter 10. Both are true. We are not given license to choose one or the other. Let's be clear. There is not a choice to be made between the two of these. They're both equally taught, clearly established in the Word of God. And we are to believe them both. So our response here today. Just a few thoughts here. I just have to bring this to the forefront. Everyone who calls on Jesus Christ will be saved. In a room like this, I've got to assume that there are people here who have yet to call. Without a doubt, there are people in this room that God has brought sovereignly to meet with you today. Maybe today is the day that He calls you to life. Listen now, listen. Call on Jesus Christ. Cry out to Him in faith, Believing He is able to save you and say to Him, save me from my sins. I turn. I'm sick of living in the dark. I want forgiveness. I I, I want you to be my King, my Lord, my Savior. Save me. And I promise you this today. He will. He will do that if you call out to Him. I guarantee it. Cry out to Him. And be saved. Oh, weak and heavy laden. Sin is a terrible slave master. The yoke of Jesus is easy. His burden is light. Are you sick of guilt? Are you sick of condemnation? Are you sick of the dark? The fog? The uncertainty? Are you sick of the wrath of God? Then find safe harbor in the Son, Jesus Christ. Call out to him and you will be saved. The open arms of God are extended today, but how are they extended? The statue in Rio de Janeiro is nothing compared to the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, the way the world sees the arms of God extended happens when you speak. They see the love of God and it comes through your words that proclaim good news to sinners. There's hope, there's salvation. May we never be a church that loves our our doctrine and believes in the sovereignty of God and is dispassionate about evangelism such that the arms of God would be kind of limp like this. Well, some of you might be saved. That is not the gospel. May the Lord deal with us swiftly if we ever allow the arms to be anything but fully extended to the ends of the earth. Everyone who calls will be saved. So this week, friends, this week, your mission, wherever you go, whoever you talk to is extend the arms of God. Show them the good news that sinners can be forgiven. Speak the words of the gospel. Let's pray. God, we delight in both these truths that you are indeed sovereign in salvation. It is the reason that we live. And at the same time, we are responsible for our rejection of you. And we would reject you if you did not cause us to live and call us to life. That decision we must make. And so, Father, we thank you that you have enabled us to call I pray even today, Lord, that You would be working now through Your Holy Spirit. Bring regeneration. Bring life and light to dead and and dying souls. Open eyes. Unstop the ears. May the clarity, the simplicity of the gospel come that sinners like me and, and all of us in this room can indeed be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting Him as Lord and Savior. The work is done. Oh Lord, bring your salvation, we pray. Bring glory and freedom and life and light. And use us to that end as well. I pray that we would be your mouthpiece, that we would have the courage to be far more bold even this week than last week. To speak, not just live, but to speak the good news of Jesus Christ and call people to respond in faith and trust Him and be saved. Lord, we thank you for these verses and we pray that we would would all the more be impassioned in both going ourselves and sending as we prepare to send Kathleen out. Lord, may she go with full support. May she go with everything that we are here behind her so that she can do the work that you have called us to do together with her over in the place you've located her. Thank you for Brenda as well and the work she's doing and for New Hope and and the work they're doing. And Lord, all around the world, we pray that there would be a massive uh, uh, harvest of, of, of souls today saved by grace through the proclamation of your people, the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.